Hey, what's up? So, Avalanche. Let's talk about it. What's, what's an avalanche? The snow comes down real fast, fierce, gains momentum. But I'm not talking about the natural disaster. Or if it's not really a disaster, I guess, if no one's around. But anyways, avalanche. What is it? You've heard about it. Now you're going to hear some more. It's an open source platform for launching decentralized finance applications, right? DeFi. That's what you want. Developers who build on Avalanche can easily create powerful, reliable, secure applications and custom blockchain networks with complex rule sets or build an existing private or public subnet. Right. I think what you should do right now is stop what you're doing. Even if it's listening to this podcast, stop, pull over, go to the gas station if you need to go to a subway. There's a subway like everywhere. There's always a subway. All right. Right, there's always a Kroger. Just stop in a parking lot somewhere. Go to avalabs.org to learn more. All right, stop. Go to avalabs. That's A-V-A labs, L-A-B-S dot org. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. The only one that's making your everyone it's the bitcoin podcast that's how we're starting the shows now i'm gonna nail down a start i will uh i'm the first host excuse me i didn't say that right (laughs) i'm the host that talks first d and i'm the host that talks third broke yep that's right uh if you notice the host that talks second Corey, dr Corey petty petty ho himself uh, he could not make it to today's roundtable recording. Uh, so, big ups to Corey, wherever you are, bro. Wherever you are. So, um, we're going to just like, we're going to talk crypto, man. That's what we do. So, this is the Bitcoin podcast, man. If this is your first time here into the Bitcoin podcast, then you're probably new to the space. We've been kicking it a while. All right. We're uh, we're like that old, old uh, warm recipe of apple pie of the, of the, of the crypto podcast space. Um yeah, anyways, so this week we interviewed uh, David Finsler, uh, CEO of uh, OpenSea, which is a collectibles marketplace, and collectibles in the cryptocurrency uh, world are NFTs, uh, non-fungible tokens, and they're no different than actual physical collectibles that you can hold, except for they are a little bit different, you can't hold them. Um, so I know you, I know I told you I was going to go hard in the paint on decentralized finance, but by going hard in the paint, I did, I sat on my couch and I read and that's about it. Um, and I looked at some on my computer and I did a little bit of reading and to me, Jesse, honestly, I'm going to tell you, it's starting to get my dick a little hard. I'm not going to, there's not a lot of things that do that now. I'm getting older, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. Viagra commercials are getting more and more (laughs) tantalizing these days. Because I see it and I'm like, you know what? You know, maybe, yeah. You know, maybe I'll do it some pre, pre-date. Take a little, pop a little Viagra. Get ready for the mojo, you know. Anyway, mm-hmm. this, is, this is getting derailed really fast. But I like the idea of providing liquidity to the planet. And then traders and whomever needs it can get access to that liquidity. And you get paid interest for your contribution to that pool of liquidity and mostly it's like bots trading and things like that i like the idea of that it seems sexy to me i i did like a 
like not a deep deep dive yet like i did like a i jumped in like shin deep mm-hmm. and uh if you're not in one of the major DeFi projects it can get pretty scammy uh, scammy so so yeah. why earn is that a major project uh you talking about wi-fi no why earn uh what is that one i forget it's a big one. I thought that's yearn dot finance. Right? Yeah, yearn dot finance. That's but that's I don't call fine. it. I don't call it yearn. I call it yearn because it's lowercase y and then capital else everything else. Okay, why well, that's Wi Fi? Yeah, that's a major one. That's fine. Supposedly, yeah. uh, it seems too good to be true. But quite honestly, I think that's how crypto is done. Because look, so I have Coinbase Wall and I have some USDC. I keep. I, I buy a little USDC every single month just just to, I don't know, sometimes sometimes you just got to play around with stuff, you know what I'm saying? Just test, get a little testy test. So I buy USDC, I look at it, and I see that there's interest gained. And you can literally see it in real time. You can see the interest that you're gaining. And that's all algorithmic. That's all a program, right? Doing what it's designed to do. Um, and then, huh? Somebody just pulled out like eight million off of off of uh Wi-Fi. Really? Wait, it's not eight million. It's eight million off of the off of the price of the underlying token. But it's actually two hundred thirty something or two hundred forty million off of the market cap price. So somebody pulled out like quarter of a billion out of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I I don't know that there's like too many chances for a rug pull in my opinion. You can't like leave your stuff there long term. So pull in the rug for those of you listening. And I know that you probably tuned into this because you're like, ah, what's Bitcoin? I'm going to listen to the show called Bitcoin Podcast. Well, you know, that's not what you're going to get. So if you if you want to listen to some Bitcoin stuff, you should go to the website, the Bitcoin and look at some of the other shows provided. And you'll probably find something in there that tickles your fancy or um, as Cardi B would say, tickles that little dangly thing in the back of your throat. Um, but <laughs> I wish you guys could see Jesse's face right now. Yeah. <laughs> he did not see that coming. But anyways, sorry. It's a WAP reference for you old people in the audience. Um, oh my God, that was so out of the blue. I feel sorry because I think... I think people's kids listen to this show, Jesse. Uh, but anyways, so when you pull the rug, what Jesse just said was slang. And sometimes, you know, Jesse isn't the best at like clearing up his slang terms. Um, when you pull a rug, it's when you take your liquidity out of the pool. So everybody else is basically fucked. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's... That's it in a nutshell. So if you're a big old whale, right? And then in investing terms, a whale is somebody who controls the waves of the market, right? Because whales, biggest fish in the sea. If they are a fish, I think they're a mammal. But we're not going to get into that. I'm no fucking scientist. But when whales move, everything moves with them, right? So uh, when a whale pulls the rug... It means they're taking their liquidity out of the pool and everybody else's interest uh, kind of gets fucked. So um, you could see uh, that several DeFi projects every single week get the rug pulled on them, which means that a whale came in. You helped him build up his liquidity. He got his interest real quick or she got her interest real quick. And then they pulled the rug, took all the money and you're stuck with an illiquid asset. Am I right, Jesse, about that? Mm-hmm. Well, your asset is not illiquid. It's just what happens is, so like they, so I would assume that they didn't pull their quarter of a billion out at a penalty. They were probably in locked in for at least the sixty days. But if you pull your money out, there is a penalty. And depending really? on the protocol, I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought you could hop in uh, and out. Oh uh, hell no, no, no. And then so it's like a double whammy for you. You pull your money out. Not only do you get penalized. But also that trade, right? All, all the trades, they actually accrue uh, tokens for everybody else, depending on what the protocol is designed to do. But like all Wi-Fi is, I guess, kind of different flavors of the same ice cream or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, 
So, yeah, if you're pulling out, if you're pulling out as a whale and you're dumping on everybody, they are, they, they can get out, but they will stand to lose far more than what they put in in terms of gas fees, in terms of the penalties, and it'll go, it'll all get absorbed. So when it comes to DeFi, you want your pull out game to be weak. Yeah, you want to you want to even if whales pull out, you like that money is gone. If you're a little guppy, mm-hmm. if you're putting like $1000 or $10,000, you're like a guppy compared to the whales that are playing in that shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what are some and examples of What are some examples of like DeFi tokens? And then if if someone were to go through the process of now that Coinbase has uh, Wi-Fi, which is Yearn.Finance, how oh, Coinbase has that now? Yeah, they ju- they just added it, right? So it's not going anywhere. Okay. That's that's why right now I'm like, oh, you know, I'm starting to get a half chub. Like, yeah. I basically I'm a GPP now, Jesse. I've been saying that for years. I don't have time to keep up with this space. There's so much crazy stuff. Last time I checked yeah. in, there was a guy. Last time I was really new, I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna keep a keep an arm distance from this space. Still love it, but you know, it's like that cousin you love that's like, eh, you know, eh, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. Uh, anyways, I, Coinbase to me is like the the market leader. They're the leader in professionalism. They're the leader in industry. They're the leader in providing an easy on ramp for most people. Um, their app is easy to use. My father, who's uh, 65, I think if you're not dad, I'm sorry for aging you, but I'm pretty sure you're old. Um, he can use Coinbase. He loves it. I told him last week, I was like, hey, you know, the same way you've been buying Bitcoin every single week for the past four years, you need to do the same thing for Ether. He texted me later that day and said, hey, my recurring purchases are set up. I'm good to go. And I was like, do you mind the fees are eroding your money? And he was like, I don't really care because it's growing so fast. And I was like, that's the point. Anyways, Coinbase is at urine.finance or Wi-Fi. So I think DeFi is not going anywhere, right? And uh, certain projects, yeah. And the New York New York Financial um, Overwatch Center. I don't I don't remember what it's called, but the same one that basically made the laws back in 2014 in New York, the NYDFS, the New York Department of Financial Services, I believe that's what it's called. Um, they made that law. I can't remember the name of the law, but now the person that made the law, Super Ben Tendo, his name was Ben something. Damn, memory, come back to me. Too much alcohol. Anyways, he made a law that made it really hard to deal in crypto. Well, that law is about to be eroded. Uh, You know how um, politicians and legislators do. And so the NYDFS is now saying the exact opposite that they were in 2014, that crypto and Bitcoin is like this gateway to the future, this unprecedented technological advancement in monetary policy, blah, blah, blah. So you know what that means, Jesse. It's about to get real DeFi up in here real fast. Some crazy, crazy shit is about to go down. So yeah. how does someone like my father get into DeFi now that Yearn.Finance is on Coinbase? What do they do? That'll be interesting. I don't know. Damn, I was hoping you would know. I was what if they get unloaded know. on? What do you mean? The like, rug? What if like... Like, what if people just start pulling money as it gets loaded onto Coinbase? Yeah, long term, like, it might be a fine hold, but, like, maybe that's what that dropped. I think that, I think, you know what I think? I think Coinbase is going to be, I've said this before, I'll say it again, just so I can be that guy that said it a lot. Coinbase is going to be the fastest company to a trillion dollar valuation. I think Coinbase only lets coins loose on their marketplace when they have a significant bag of that token. So they can be somewhat of a market maker without everybody knowing it. They're a silent market maker. So Brian Armstrong is like Lex Luthor. He's been in the game a long time. He's got so much fucking crypto that it's probably scary to people that are close to him. Like he's got security. Ain't no doubt about that. So um, I think that Coinbase secures very large bags of very good looking projects that are under the radar because they have the time and the financial backing to look deep and call these people into their offices and fly out to whatever point on the planet and look at the team. Then they buy a big bag 
then they make sure that they're not breaking any laws and then they add it to their marketplace. It's kind of scary. Is it? How much, how much crypto he might have. Is it? He, that man has billions and billions of dollars worth of crypto <laughs> and nobody's talking about it and nobody's saying shit. And I, yeah, like I wonder how much he actually has. That's a good point. I never thought about that. I'll think, th- think about this, man. I got into Coinbase. He has more than Winklevoss or Winklevi. Oh, I think that he has, I think his valuation is more than the Winklevi. I think they have more Bitcoin than he does. But I think yeah. I think Armstrong is very progressive, right? And he's not he doesn't give a fuck about tickling the nuts of the traditional financial incumbents like the Winklevi do. The Winklevi have something to prove. Their kids are rich people. Their their parents have rich friends. They're in that whole system of oligar oligarchiness is what we'll call it. Like they got they got points to prove to wealthy people. Brian Armstrong's a nobody. He don't give a shit. He was just a smart guy coming up out of school, and now he does. He doesn't care about breaking the rules. He does something, and then he buys a compliance officer for it. Right? That's his style. He's like, shit. I didn't know I couldn't do that. Let me buy a couple of lawyers real quick. Like that's 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 how Brian Armstrong does things. So I think he has much more crypto. And if you were to aggregate the value, he is much much. I think he's more, much more wealthy than the Winklevi. That would be my guess. Hmm. This man's so wealthy, he doesn't even go on MSNBC. He don't give a fuck. They're like, come on, man, come on. He's like, I'll come when I want to, bro. I'm too busy trying to change the world. So, I mean, this isn't going to be a Coinbase jerk sesh. Uh, I just wanted to to see if Jesse knew how to get people off to, to DeFi because... I was still a little bit fuzzy about it, to tell you the truth. Um, But by the next episode, I'll be a full-on DeFi bro. um, And I'll even get a neck tattoo. So, So what's up, man? What have you been looking into into crypto? Like, what's tickling your uh, fancy? Uh, I'm just trying to see, like... Are you still hard in the paint for Algo? Like, are you still, like, Team Algo? Yeah. No. Yeah. Why are you making that face like it matters? Like, like No, just sorry. Not Algo. Did I say Algo? I meant not Algo. It doesn't matter, Jesse. You, you can say whatever you want. It's not like it matters. It seems I'm not, like they have... Uh... They have a lot of, of promise in that project. I'm not going to. Okay. Jesse is uncomfortable with speaking to things that he likes in this space because he thinks that black Dodge Chargers are going to show up at his front door and lock him up. And his dreams will be shattered all because he uttered some words on a podcast. So also, I'll tell you guys the projects that I still like. How about that? Hashtag not investment advice. Hashtag don't sue me. Hashtag. Don't be an asshole. So, Ethereum is still a go. Ethereum 2.0, way go. So, I think Ethereum is still a go because... Not, not uh, go. Huh? I disagree. You disagree? Yeah. The, right, the here, Ethereum lead, one of the team lead devs, He's he just tweeted, like, I don't know if you saw that tweet earlier that he made yesterday or day before. I didn't. What happened? Yeah. We're, we're, I think we were joking about it on Slack. It's the fact that uh, he was posting, like, what happens, like, when, when people's power gets cut, cut off and, like, you know, basically stake, staked uh, Ether gets slashed. And um, he, didn't, he didn't say Ether, but he's like, you know, like, I guess, like, what would happen? And he's starting to realize, like, it, it's very bad. Like, if, like, normal people won't be able to run a validator. No, because we don't have like power that's absolutely secure. And any amount of time that you're offline, you 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 actually lose ether that you've staked. So like, you can't you can't run that on your own. You're gonna have to use yeah. like Amazon Web Services or something. You know what I mean? 
you'd have to have like APCs out the ass and APCs cost a lot of money. And then you'd have redundant, you'd need redundancies too. It's just too expensive. It's, 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 it's far too expensive. So they have to adjust the penalties that they were planning or like, I don't know how they're going to do that, but basically it was just like an oopsie, you know, like he shouldn't have said that they still don't know how they're going to approach penalties or staking mechanics you know, in terms you, of the tokenomics. I guess Jesse, you know, what gets on my nerves about this. And that is the crypto, the entire crypto community can't seem to be wise and mature. Like the base layer still has issues. Uh Why can't we all just agree to work on the base layer until it has the least amount of issues? Why is everyone trying to work on like layer four shit? Like we're going to be able to zap ether from space shuttle to fucking international space station. And it's like, bro, we haven't even fucking made fire yet. I know it seems like we're we're far ahead, but there's still so many fucking issues. Why are we working on layer two when we should be focused on layer one? Uh-huh. That's 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 the thing that I guess aggravates me about the crypto space. So now you're telling me is if I stake my 32 ETH and my power goes out, then that shit's going to get fucking eroded faster than mm-hmm. I can react to get back on and make sure that my ether, my staked ether is safe and sound. Well, it won't go fast. It will go like a percentage, like, you know, say like, say like it's a point, like a half of a percent, like that's, it's going to be chunky if that happens over time, you know? Yeah. And there's places on the planet like Cali, India, some places in China where they have rolling brownouts where. That's what I'm saying. So like, how how are you going to not want to like give over responsibility of running that validator even if you have ETH to stake like to somebody else I mean I would so overnight classes are established that if you have stable sound and secure electricity you're the better validator that's what I'm saying like that's ultimately what it implies but like I don't know that doesn't seem very decentralized oof it's hard trying to include everyone in the fun isn't it I don't I don't think it should be done what do you mean because like you can get i don't know like it, it can be done to some extent but like honestly everybody just cares about the value of the underlying asset right they don't really give a fuck about the decentralization of the validation of the protocol do they no nobody does well new people don't like we've gone through this if there are 100 new people that get into crypto one of them yeah. is gonna be like yeah, this is the future. I can make a decentralized identity platform that will automatically validate that was, my. I- hmm? That was like ICO boom, twenty seventeen thinking. Yeah, it, sure. That was like like uh, way to that? age me. Way to age me, Jesse. I'm just trying to think yeah. out loud over here. Trying to. The zombies are like the or like I guess the the people that are like going for. Crypto just piling in on like higher and higher prices. They're like the zombies from like World War Z with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. You know those know. zombies? That yes, I know those you zombies. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, I do know the scene that you're talking about. If I were that movie, if I were the person in that movie, I'd be the black dude that was trying to get a hold of Brad Pitt the whole movie. That would be me. <laughs> like, yo, where are you, dude? Come to the rooftop. All right, cool. And then throughout the whole movie, like He's still trying to track down Brad Pitt. Like the whole movie's like, ah, I'm calling and I know he's your husband and all, but he's not picking up the phone. It's crazy. It's like the whole movie. I f- like this is the only lines he had. Like, why one, if your agent presents you with this script, of course you take it. It's like, you mean the whole movie? I'm just trying to find this guy? Because every other line is, hey, where are you? All right. I, I that's that's a win for me. <laughs> that's that's a win. <laughs> but anyways. Um, I got sidetracked. Yes, I know the crypto zombies, they exist. And they've breeded, too. The zombies have breeded and evolved, bro. There's, like... I don't want to shit on someone, but I'm going to... I'm trying to understand this enigma called uh, Miss Teen Crypto. It's blowing my mind. Like, I'm like, who... If It's it's just one of those things like that... You did on that. It, no, and I'm not. I saw one. I saw one day. I was like going through my my Twitter newsfeed, and then I saw this like she was trending in crypto, 
And I was like, what's this Miss Teen Crypto? And I looked at it and I was like, this feels very choreographed. And I mm. and it feels weird. And so like Black Friday. Yeah, but like um, I don't know what you mean by that, and I hope it's not a race thing. But more no, like no, 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 not Black Friday. What is it Friday? Friday? You know those? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That Rebecca one. Black. Rebecca Black. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like. It feels like there is like some sort of producer, some grimy producer who's like, yeah. yeah, just say this and do that, and I'll give you money, and and say this and do that, and that's what it feels like. And the parents are like, yeah, we love money. Do whatever you want. Make my daughter famous. That's what it feels like. But, um, sorry, I got sidetracked. Too much coffee. So yeah, Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi. Yeah. How we got? How do we get away from Wi-Fi? Uh, I don't know. Fuck, man. We went on a very long tributary down a path we did not understand. Um. So what would you? What would you? What would you throw your? You were talking about like recommendations for different projects. Yeah. So for now, if you want to be conservative like me, conser- as conservative as you can in this very unconservative asset class. I would stick to what Coinbase is doing with uh, Wi-Fi, which means Yearn.Finance. Um, essentially, you will add your, you will take your Ether, you will buy Wi-Fi, and then add it to the liquidity pool of Wi-Fi. And then what happens after that is you gain interest on your Ether. So um, I've tried... I've dabbled. I've dabbled with a DYDX contract that's currently getting me 7.8% um, interest on like 500 bucks because I am a very conservative individual. And right now it's gone from 500 to like 550 on the year, which isn't like terrible or some shit like that. But I mean, it works. It's just it's programmed interest. A return on your money. If you're gonna hold, you might as well be. So, so if there's HODL plus, which is re re um, balancing your money whenever significant gains have occurred, then there needs to be what do we call this Neo HODL plus or Alpha HODL plus, or we need another moniker. What do you think, Jesse? What do we call this one? Mm. HODL HODL plus squared. I don't. I don't know. Is this is this surplus like being rediversified back into Bitcoin? Because it seems like people are throwing money at altcoins and then pulling profits back into Bitcoin. Always. That's always going to happen. Okay. Bitcoin is the fucking king is the raw of crypto. That's right. If you heard what I said, and that's your thing, it's the sun god of crypto. It's the we don't care how it works. Is it a man, an alien? What's going on here? It's the raw of of crypto. So yes, Jesse, they're always going to rebalance back into Bitcoin. But if we had HODL plus, which means after significant gains have occurred, you transfer some out into your local fiat in order to make um, changes in your personal life that will then exponentiate your vertical climb. What do we call HODL plus? We call it... um. We call HODL, if you're HODL plusing with interest rate, do we call it HODL plus plus? That seems a little, that seems a little lame, like programmer's HODL, name. HODL plus percent. That's too much. That's a mouthful. It's not catchy enough. Okay. Should we leave not it up HODL to the community? Plus HODL plus what? Modulus? Like, instead of no. modulus. Modulus what, though? Modulus what? Of what? You're not really using the modulus operator. I'm just, you know. Because it looks like a percent sign in most programming languages. What if we said model plus? Nah, that's stupid. Mod hodl plus. Mod hodl. Did you know that Binance coin is in fifth place right now because they launched their Binance smart chain? I did not. And I don't even know what that race is. Anyways, community. I've got mod hodl. I've got you've got a modded hodl plus as the new moniker 
I would love for you guys to make suggestions in the hashtag price talk channel in the Slack. If you don't know what the Slack is, you're whack. But you can find out by going to the BitcoinPodcast.com and clicking on the Slack button and joining the Slack and joining the conversation. Now, if you're a punk ass bitch, don't join that Slack. And I mean that for serious. Uh, we have curated a community that we love, uh, a community full of crypto power users. Um, everyone in there is in a position to where they can do very diligent research on these projects and give very pointed opinions. Um, we have um, some DeFi uh, fan fans in there, fanatics slash builders like JT. Uh, we have just an all-around genius like Yagi. We have um, the leader of the gang, Jesse. And we have, no, I'm kidding. He's not. No. But if he were, if it were a Scooby-Doo gang, he'd be that dude with the white, white, white sweater on and the orange uh, keffia. And then, oh my god, yeah, what you would be, bro, you'd be that guy, you'd be that guy, the dude who's always just like not knowing shit but drives the van, you know what I'm saying? Oh like, my god. what <laughs> <laughs> every time I ask you something, you're like, I don't know, and I'm like, well, damn, man, you're driving the van. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, we got Dr. Petty in there who's clearly Daphne without tits. And then we've got, yeah. So anyways, we love our community and you should join it if you want to be loved. Um, today's interview. <laughs> Just join it if you want to be loved. Today's interview is uh, Devin Finsler from OpenSea. Uh, we, they, they, uh, it's, a, it's a collectible marketplace, right? So all your digital uh, Aaron Rodriguez trophies can be traded there. And it's, it's some dope shit, so. Here it is. Well, hello. Hello. We hope you guys just enjoyed that roundtable. We're about to dive into an interview. And uh, we love these interviews. They give us some introspection as to what's going on in the old crypto sphere. Is that what you call it, Corey, the crypto sphere? I don't know. I think I pretty much change what I call it every day. Yeah. The industry, the space, the crypto sphere. Blockchain, who knows? It's you know what we're talking about. You're, you're, you're tuning into us. Yeah. Well, uh, welcome to the show, Devin. Devin Finzer. How you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So for those of you um who don't know, Devin Finzer is the CEO and co-founder of OpenSea. And um I don't want to speak for him. I want to let you do all the speaking. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, man? Like, who are you? Have you always been in crypto? Are you an OG? Have you been around? Were you kicking it with Satoshi or not? Or did you get swept in in 2017? Like, what's your history and your background and how that intersect with uh, crypto? Sure. Well, definitely wouldn't call myself OG at all. Um, I, start, I, I did start getting somewhat interested in crypto in 2013 and sort of reading a little bit, but I never really went down um, the crypto rabbit hole until 2017, as did a lot of folks. Um, so I was kind of a, uh, one of one of that cohort of crypto folks. Um, and I got interested in it um, primarily for the sort of non-financial use cases for crypto, um, which are still rather nascent and were also extremely nascent in 2017. But um, one of the more kind of exciting projects to me, strangely enough, was CryptoKitties, which um, I just thought was I just thought it was really fascinating to kind of try to build a game or a collectible or a, a piece of artwork on top of this interoperable open uh, blockchain protocol, right? I just thought that was fascinating. Um, and uh, I, at the time, I'd, I'd been following a lot of what was happening in crypto, and, and that was kind of enough um, impetus for me to make the leap and decide to start my own project um, in the space uh, with Alex, my co-founder, who um, was also kind of uh, deep in the crypto space at the time as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the story of OpenSea. Uh, a little bit on OpenSea, we're a marketplace for non-fungible tokens. So um, we allow people to buy and sell things like CryptoKitties, but 
over the last uh, couple of years since CryptoKitties, there have been sort of an explosion of different types of non-fungible tokens, everything from items inside of games to artwork to uh, even more domain name type things. And OpenSea is kind of this broad marketplace, kind of like an eBay, um, where you can go and auction those things off and trade them um, with other people. Sure. What did you not see coming with NFTs? So you joined the space, you built the marketplace. Uh, NFT, uh, non-fungible tokens, so it's a standard uh, or a few different standards on the Ethereum blockchain. So people can like tokenize digital assets that are non-fungible, meaning like each one is unique and, uh, and, and separate. Uh, and like when you first started, you said you got into CryptoKitties. So like it was ga the gaming implications were obvious. Are there things that happened? Uh, kind of in the marketplace over time that you're like, hmm, didn't see that coming. For sure, yeah. I think, in fact, I would say maybe the majority of things um, we were at least surprised by, like, the staging of when, like, various things happened. I think we were, you know, our, a lot of our hypothesis were a bit nebulous and not particularly correct. <laughs> um, but we, I, I think one surprising thing um, was uh, sort of the emergence of like crypto art as a real uh, thriving category. Um, I was, I suppose like a little bit um, just, I guess I just didn't have a ton of knowledge about that space. And it's really like flourished, especially over the last like five or six months. Um, crypto art has been, um, a really interesting category. And I think one of the reasons for that is um, it doesn't ha it doesn't require the same sort of like technical uh, throughput uh, constraints as something like gaming where, you know, typically you might be buying things that, that can range from like less than a dollar, you know, maybe some of the more high-end items are in the $100,000 range, but there are these sort of um, lower tier items, whereas crypto art is sort of all high end for the most part. Um, and that's a really nice fit with kind of where the tech is right now, because as we've seen, especially over the last month, um, you know, the, the throughput of the network and the costs associated with transferring these things around is pretty high. And so you kind of need um, non-fungible tokens that are going to be worth uh, that you know, five to $10 transfer fee to move around. So crypto art, these high value assets has really like flourished as a really interesting category. It's developed a really unique culture around it. There's now like, you know, maybe five to 10 different art dedicated platforms. Um, and I, I think, you know, we kind of thought that gaming um, would, um, would sort of shadow over um, the art space, but that, that hasn't been the case. When you say crypto art, I'm I'm a little unfamiliar. You mean like an actual piece of art, like or like something that's only digital, like something physical or something digital? Something digital. So um, okay. basically, just so what I think a lot of folks got excited about right after CryptoKitties was if you think about what makes a piece of physical art valuable. Well, like technically, I could go and commission someone to paint pretty much an exact replica of the Mona Lisa, right? And mm -hmm. something that I could put on my wall and it looks almost exactly like the Mona Lisa. But of course, I'm not gonna be able to sell that for millions of dollars like one could sell the original Mona Lisa. Similarly, in the digital world, um, you know, it's possible to copy and paste a JPEG or a PNG and send it to someone, but uh, up until blockchain, there was really no notion of like what was the original piece of digital art. Um, and so I think what's exciting is that despite being able to like replicate pieces of digital art and send the actual image around, we now have sort of this like system that's almost analogous to like the physical world where you can point and you can say, this is the person who owns this particular piece of digital art. Um, and that's sort of where we're seeing the space uh, start to get exciting um, and people are you know they now have a place to sort of show off the original piece of digital art that they've bought and you know even if someone tokenizes it again you can kind of point to this record of well this was the first one that was ever tokenized mm. 
So original on the basis of the Ethereum network, right? Like it could, right? Okay. So, um, have you, you think seen... like the digital, like the like the three D uh, virtual reality spaces that a lot of people that kind of show off their artwork have um, led to this, or is it just the uniqueness and ownership of saying I, I own this thing, it's worth this much money, and I can prove it? I think um, they're sort of symbiotic. I, I would say um, the uh, the virtual reality and sort of virtual world platforms, I don't know how closely you follow like platforms like CryptoVoxels or Decentraland, those types of things um, have helped the space um, evolve in that they provide an, a space where you can show these things off in sort of a museum type of environment. Um, so I think that helps. Um, and I think more things like that, more places to display your work, all of those things are what are, what, what are eventually going to kind of lift the whole space forward and allow it to be a real thing. Um, so you need, you need all of it. Um, but it is interesting that I think the current um, sort of crypto enthusiast and early adopter crowd is sort of buying this work because they see that coming in the future and they're kind of excited about you know being really early in that in the trend of more and more things going digital more and more of these digital spaces being available and all of that um, and so they don't necessarily need the whole ecosystem to exist because it doesn't honestly it doesn't really exist yet it's in development um uh and and that's kind of what has powered what we've seen so far in the uh, crypto art market nice so, so taking it back to open, open sea a little bit, and that's sea as in like a ocean or a body of water for you guys listening. Correct. Um, so when I was a kid, I collected comic books because that's natural. And I collected football cards and baseball cards and pogs, fucking pogs. But um, <laughs> I would always read these books. I can't remember the name of the, one of the books. It's like a little magazine booklet thing. And it would you go to the back of it and you look in the index and it's like, oh, your, you know, your King Griffey Jr. card is worth 15 bucks. And and I was always like, dope. So I was under the impression that my giant pile of baseball cards was also a giant pile of money. But that's not the case. You've got to find somebody to buy that stuff. And so I guess if in, in my mind, just like as a layman, OpenSea is the marketplace where like if you have your unique collectible thing, there's somebody on the other end that can buy it. And it, it provides like a, a central point for people to come together to sell their unique things. Is that they called an almanac? I guess it was called an almanac. It was like a little magazine, but it always would show me. And I was always like, cool. I got a $50, uh, what's his name? Mark McGuire card in there. I just got this pile of money one day. Hope it grows. Like, I don't think that's how it works. But <laughs> um, essentially, that's what OpenSea provides. It's a place for one person's unique goods to meet another place, another person and their unique goods. Or maybe just money for, for, for crypto. That's correct. Yeah. And actually, in fact, uh, currently our marketplace is not uh, a like barter economy, right? Where you're, it, it, we plan to build this at some point and, or maybe someone else will. Um, I think it's super awesome, but it's a marketplace where you sell for cryptocurrency. So you could sell your, um, you know, your rare uh, MLB card for Ether or for DAI or, or something like that. Um, but uh, I do think that allowing people to swap mixed sets of uh, NFTs for other mixed sets of NFTs is also a really cool um, use case that wouldn't be that hard to um, add in the future. Nice. Okay. So it's only for money right now. Damn. That's all right. I don't really have many <laughs> I mean, NFTs anyways. I mean, so. it's just one step away from the other thing you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the, the point of money. Um, no, I don't really I, have any. I, I want to talk a little bit, like it's like a side effect of um, you owning this marketplace and everyone going here to kind of buy and sell uh, 
what they're looking for in terms of NFTs means that you have a good portion of the data and uh, the, the technical aspects of NFTs makes it much, much, much harder to track things. So like if someone wanted to do this on their own and implement a way to show um, what's currently uh, like what the, the current NFTs that exist in my wallet, then it's kind of hard. You have to kind of manually do that because uh, you have to track so many different contracts in the state of so many NFTs and so on and so forth. Um, so what, what has ended up happening is that majority of people just use your API to say, hey, here's my wallet address. What tokens do I have? And then she used that in their wallet to show. Like, can you talk a little bit about kind of like how that, like what technical challenges you face in the process of trying to like understand what tokens exist in, a, in an address whenever you look it up and then like how people can, can leverage that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the biggest technical challenge was um, just the fact that when um, I think uh, ERC721, which is the standard that CryptoKitties kind of pioneered um, after it launched, it's a standard for non-fungible tokens, right? So if you think about ERC20 um, as a standard for building new currencies on top of Ethereum, ERC721 is a standard for building unique digital assets on top of Ethereum. So things like domain names or digital art and all that. That standard, um, as standards often do, sort of like had evolved gradually over time and had like a lot more complexity associated with it than ERC-20, which is just kind of like a simple currency. So for example, um, with Ethereum, like if you're gonna build a new uh, game and you're gonna represent your game items using an ERC-721 contract, well, you need to like, have a way to display the game items, right? You need an image associated with each one. You need a name, you need a, name, a description, and you don't want to store that all on chain. So people just kind of did it in a variety of different ways. They, some people used IPFS, some people just use centralized servers. Some people built their metadata API in like a completely uh, esoteric, difficult to, to like grab way other people people built it in a really like nice way that was standardized and gradually we standardize things and we have all these developer docs so that you can immediately comply with the standard and be on open C, you know in a couple minutes um but at, in the beginning and especially some of these like sort of legacy or like really rare assets that have been around for the longest time like crypto kitties for example they the getting all that data as you said is a bit of a mess um and because we we've been doing this since 2017 we kind of like built up this system of what we call fetchers to figure out like what's unique about this nft and and standardize it in our own system um and so any application that wants to go and build some sort of nft experience rather than having to sort of go and like figure figure all of that stuff out they can now use our api um ultimately like what we want is for these standards to be easier to comply to, easier to use, and easier to grab the data in sort of an open fashion. Um, and so we eventually want our API to be kind of somewhat obsolete, um, but it has helped a lot um, uh, to bring on wallets, to bring on like NFT explorers and all of that stuff so that they can like more easily build their applications without having to worry about all the complexity of um, reading from the chain. Why do you think no one has branded them nifties yet? <laughs> well, there are some people who call them nifties. Um, really? And I've yeah. never heard that before. Yeah, some, <laughs> some, some people, I, I would say they're like maybe five to 10% of people call them nifties. Um, that's a good question. I, I think. Take it, man. Take it and run with it. I think, um, well, NFT is like the actual acronym. And so it's used in all the technical documentation. It's what CryptoKitties kind of used. And Nifties was like a fast follow to that. Um, and I just think it's hard to, you know, it's hard to like change the tides of like the direction that people are going and everyone is yeah. going NFT. And uh, yeah. So what do you think, Corey? That's a good Nifties? Question. 
I mean, I'm a developer, so it's hard for me to move away from the developer mentality of just calling an acronym what it is. <laughs> but they're nifty. Or just call That's it a token. Thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, don't, don't even call broader. it a non-fungible token because people don't even care about that. It's a, it's a playing card. Don't give a shit. Like, like <laughs> most of the time, here's the thing. Like, in the end, when people are like playing games and they want to sell their Diablo gear or whatever the hell it is that's implementing this stuff, they're not going to give a shit what it's called or how it works. They're just going to say, hey, I can take this, I can take my sword out of the game and sell it for money like I used to in the real money auction house, but now there's an open market for it where I can take it and put it in a different game or so on and so forth. And that's all you really care about. So like right now, it's mostly developers or enthusiasts who can speak developer in a lot of, in a lot of, in a lot of senses who are in this ecosystem. So like, they're going to stick with engineering terms, which no one likes from like in a user perspective, but like the people who are making the applications that are going to scale, they're, they're not going to say that shit. They're going to, they're going to just call it up a, a token or an item or whatever the hell it is. And not even talk about what's going on behind it. Mm. So call it nifty. Like a, I like that. It feels like a missed opportunity. <laughs> Might as well have fun with it. Yeah. You start a little following. <laughs> Like it's a, it's a it's got to be a name that's subtle enough that it isn't a collect it's a collectible but it's digital and people just got to make the connection like oh that's a nifty what's a nifty oh it's a collect it's a digital collectible like that's I mean but huh. anyways um, yeah, that's a good point yeah I was a marketer in a past life no I wasn't I've never been a marketer ever before but it's been marketing the Bitcoin <laughs> podcast for years now so like yeah that's right like subtle. Subtle, subtle ways of doing it. Always be marketing. That's what I read. That's what I read on the internet. No. Um, so I think it's never stop marketing, and that's from Jeremy Epstein. Whatever. Because he's been on the show like six times. I want to tokenize <laughs> it, and then I'll have a. And he says it. He says it maybe ten times every time on the show. What? Uh, so what's the weirdest NFT that you? Excuse me. What's the weirdest Nifty that you own, Devin? You can be honest here. We're, we're honest people, you know. You don't got get put, weird. It's okay. You don't. You can get weird if you want to. You know, it's just put yourself out there. With it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me let me look through my account. Um, so, well, there. I mean, I own a lot of like really old NFTs um, that have since kind of like the the entire game associated with them has evaporated. Um, and I'm not entirely sure about some of them. Some of them might still have a legitimate game, but I was embarrassed, you know, especially since the price of ETH has risen quite significantly since I bought them. Um, there were, you know, like there was a um, a game called Chibi Fighters, uh, which I believe is no longer really around. Um, but I was looking through my past trading history and I bought like a, a couple of these for 0.5 ETH each. Um, mm. and you know, now they're completely worthless. Right. So, <laughs> um, a lot of like things that I was testing that no, are no longer around. Um, I, I guess one cool, um, uh, thing to check out that, um, I have a, a few of are, uh, crypto voxels wearables. So do you guys know about crypto voxels? Uh, yeah, it sounds I really familiar. I go ahead. So, yeah, just to go over it real quick. So basically, Crypto Voxels is kind of um, a little virtual world, kind of like the central land where you can um, build, you can own land, you can build little towers and things kind of like Minecraft on top of it. Um, and you can host events there and all that. Um, you can also have wearables. So you can have like clothing on your avatar. Um, and uh, basically like, there's these weird or there's really interesting like events that people have where like everyone has their different wearables on, on them. Um, and those are, those are bought and sold on OpenSea, and they're kind of, uh, I think at the time I bought them, they were really cheap. So mm -hmm. they're kind of cool. That blew up pretty quick, especially when like COVID happened and everyone started having like uh, events and stuff using crypto voxel rooms and things like that. So if you want to show off with their gear. Yeah. I think I have a bunch of like original, like one of the first card playing games. Oh, uh, like Metherium, maybe? Maybe Metherium. I don't know. I'd have to hop on OpenSea know. and figure out what's in my wallet. I haven't <laughs> looked. I haven't looked at like, I literally have no idea what NFTs I own. 
but I'm pretty sure I got about like three F worth of some trading card game. And I hope that it's still existence because I don't follow like gaming that much. <laughs> Just because I was like, this could be useful. Yeah. I'll grab a couple packs. I got yeah. a bunch of F. And now it's like, shit. <laughs> I wonder if it's worthwhile. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess turning it back to OpenSea. So one of the questions I like to ask a lot of founders and CEOs, um, well, ma- mainly founders and your co-founders, like what, obviously you saw there was a problem in need of a solution. So like, cause you're loose today, like what was the problem and how is OpenSea solving it the best? Cause I think you have some competition, but how are you guys doing it the best? Yeah. Um, so I think the problem we saw was, um, I mean, back in kind of the early days, right after CryptoKitties, um, there were just, a, there were a lot of new games and people bought these items and they wanted a way to trade them. Um, and and oftentimes, um, what was pretty interesting was you know, there would sometimes be uh, ways to trade within the application itself that, but you couldn't really like trade necessarily how you exactly wanted to inside of the application. So, for as an example, um, there is a game called Crypto Celebrities um, where it was what was called a hot potato game, and so you bought one of these NFTs, and then the moment you bought it it was on sale uh, for a higher price. Um, and so it's kind of like a bit of a speculative mechanic where, um, you know, if, as long as someone else bought it after you, you would profit. And the last person who bought the asset, uh, you know, would be kind of in a tough spot. So <laughs> a lot of people were trying to sell these assets that they had bought like at a high for a, a lower price um, than what the game allowed them to do. So we kind of introduced these more free market dynamics into the ecosystem where you could just buy and sell at any price you wanted to. Um, And then of course there were other games where, you know, they would launch the assets, but there just wouldn't be any way to trade them. Um, And so people would kind of discover that OpenSea was this marketplace and that's kind of how we grew um, at first. Um, In terms of, so, so I would say, yeah, that, that's kind of, or maybe to zoom out a little bit, I would also say that an important element of these non-fungible tokens is kind of their existing an ecosystem around them. Um, because if you think about if a game developer is going to decide between just creating a normal game where the items are represented in a database versus creating a blockchain game where the items are represented on the blockchain, there has to be a good reason to do that. Um, if all that's, you know, all the benefit is just a slower database and being able to say that it's on the blockchain and, you know, having to use MetaMask, then there's not really much of a point to the assets being on a chain. Um, But if there's an ecosystem around the items, if there's a marketplace where you can buy and sell them, if there's virtual worlds where you can display them, there's all of these things, then it becomes pretty interesting to decide to, for a new developer to build these blockchain-based assets. So I would say that, you know, we kind of saw the marketplace as a piece of infrastructure that needed to exist for this whole space to evolve. Um, And then I would say how we're different from some of our competitors is we've always been sort of the broadest marketplace. We've always built kind of the most robust tools for um, buying, selling, bidding, auctioning, transferring your assets uh, across any any game or any project, um, whereas most other marketplaces are focused on those very specific vertical, like art, uh, like gaming, um, or like a, a specific game. Um, so I would say that you know we we kind of have really focused on providing these tools that that any developer can use, no matter how small they are, um, or no matter what type of project they are. Nice, nice. What do you got, Corey? I don't know, like NFTs or like, do you see where do you, where do you see NFTs going? What do you see like the main use case for these things? Do you see them kind of overtaking the concept of ERC 20 fungible tokens? Do you see them um, being like ultimately more useful because they're kind of more generalized? Uh, like how, how do you, how do you, how do you feel like clearly you have a, a quite a bit of a knowledge and understanding of nfts and how they did how they're differentiated what do you how how do you feel about them in reference to like other types of tokens and whether or not they're more useful same more useful just different yeah i actually don't think i mean i think 
in some ways, um, well, while the term NFT has been useful in sort of um, distinguishing the like this space of art, gaming, and and those sorts of things from the space of like tokens and DeFi and ICOs, um, I would actually say that they're they're really all like part of the same general trend, which is like the tokenization of more and more assets, and some of those happen assets happen to be non-fungible with each other. And each one is unique, like a crypto kitty or like a piece of art. And some of those assets happen to be fungible with each other, um, like a, uh, you know, a DeFi, a currency or, um, uh, or, you know, a, a token. Um, but I mean, if you think about games, for example, there's also assets that are fungible with each other. Um, you know, you might have a thousand of the same card and, you know, maybe it matters which edition of the card in some games, but in other games, you just want like, or, or for example, a, an RPG game, you just want like a thousand tanks or a thousand swords and all the swords are kind of interchangeable with each other. So I don't think there's this, I think one of the mischaracterizations of space, which isn't bad necessarily, but which will kind of fade away is the idea that like, these are two distinct um, spaces that there's like non-fungible tokens and then there's DeFi. Um, I would actually say that they're all sort of, be, they're all building tools that are going to be really interesting and useful across across all of these things. Um, so, you know, being able to trade non-fungible tokens or, or semi-fungible tokens on uh, an automated market maker like Uniswap, I think will definitely be a thing. Um, I think more and more assets that are not as financial in nature as some of the DeFi tokens will become tokenized and traded and uh, interoperable and move across these different applications. Um, so I see, for me, I actually see like everything kind of blending together. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, like all of these different categories, whether it be art, gaming, uh, domain names, ticketing, um, are going to be really exciting use cases for uh, for tokenization. Um, it's just a matter of like which ones come first. Nice. Well, I see, I mean, there could only be a good future for, for NFTs. If you ask me, um, it, it all depends on the adoption. Well, that's what we've been saying since day one, right? Corey adoption is the only thing that matters. So, yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything we should have asked you that we didn't? Uh, no, not that I can think of. All right. Yes. Well, how good are we at interviewing? Yes. No, I'm kidding. Got one uh, more. Got one more. Oh, one shit. More? Tap, pile it on. Put some icing on it. Oh, wait. I'm asking this question. In 10 words or less, can you describe Ethereum? 10 words or less. I just used three words. Um, Those don't count. You're good. Um okay. does count. You got nine left. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I mean, I, I like the world computer characterization, so I'll just go with that. The world computer. Yeah. That's three. You got seven words uh, left. You sure? All right, world um world computer the whole sentence almost fit in there <laughs> i like the world computer characteristics so i'll go with that like that's almost 10 i think <laughs> all right world computer um it says or less don't hate on them with built-in trust I wasn't hating. you're there good you go. at the world computer go. quite honestly but anyways what would you, what would you guys say <laughs> ethereum uh shit that's tough i never had to answer it for ethereum i answered <laughs> for bitcoin um decentralized trust with business logic i would say decentralized mm, transaction processor with conditional statements involved that's it that's what i'm gonna say mm. One would argue Bitcoin could do the same thing. <laughs> but not... Oh, wait, I forgot. Comma, but not Bitcoin. All right. How would how <laughs> how how Turing, Turing complete... Uh, or World Computer with a Turing complete programming language. 
Mm. Okay, that's a good one. I learned recently that Turing complete just means like... We forced a guest to iterate on their answer right away. Yeah, it's a first. (laughs) Change. Add to (laughs) your answer, sir. No, I'm kidding. Oh, no, Uh, it's by far not the worst. It's clear. It's definitely not the worst answer we've ever had. We've had some... We've had some fucking doozies. doozies. But, well, well, listen to the little B episode, and that'll be that'll be your uh, your bar. Devin, um, <laughs> thank you for swinging by this evening, uh, taking the time out to join us and educate us on well, the audience as well on what an NFT marketplace looks like and does, and the problem that you guys are seeking to solve. So, thank you. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs>